Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Tuesday, December 1st, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Amazon launches EC2 Mac instances. Don't call it Libra anymore, at least not the Libra Association. Is Samsung thinking about discontinuing the Galaxy Note line? Why DeepMind solving the protein folding problem is such a big deal? Are AR and VR about to blend? And the interesting case surrounding our main computer hacking law that was argued before the U.S. Supreme Court yesterday. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. AWS's annual reInvent conference is going on right now, virtually, of course. And they opened up with quite a surprise for a lot of people. AWS is launching EC2 Mac instances, bringing the Intel-based Mac Mini to its cloud for $1.08 per hour billed by the second, which is pretty expensive. Still, now you can use EC2 Mac instances to build and test Mac OS, iOS, iPad OS, tvOS, shoot, watch OS, all in the cloud, quoting TechCrunch. The target audience here, and the only one AWS is targeting for now, is developers who want cloud-based build and testing environments for their Mac and iOS apps. But it's worth noting that with remote access, you get a fully featured Mac Mini in the cloud, and I'm sure developers will find all kinds of other use cases for this as well. Given the recent launch of the M1 Mac Minis, it's worth pointing out that the hardware AWS is using, at least for the time being, are i7 machines with 6 physical and 12 logical cores and 32 gigabytes of memory. Using the Mac's built-in networking options, AWS connects them to its Nitro system for fast network and storage access. This means you'll be able to attach AWS block storage to these instances, for example. Unsurprisingly, the AWS team is also working on bringing Apple's new M1 Mac minis into its data centers. The current plan is to roll this out early next year, AWS tells me, and definitely within the first half of 2021. Both AWS and Apple believe that the need for Intel-powered machines won't go away anytime soon, though, especially given that a lot of developers will want to continue to run their tests on Intel machines for the foreseeable future." End quote. It's Libra no more. Kind of. The Facebook-backed Libra Association is being rebranded as Diem, quoting Coindesk. The Libra Association put together by Facebook last year is rebranding in further efforts to distance itself from the original Facebook-led vision rolled out last year. The group, composed of 27 member firms, announced Tuesday it was changing its name to Diem, the Latin term for day, as it gears up for the potential 2021 launch of a single dollar-pegged stablecoin. Diem's coin, when it launches, will be compliant with international regulations at the protocol level. CEO Stuart Levy said. He said this means that compliance with regulations such as the Financial Action Task Force travel rule will be baked into the network, as will other features like consumer protection. That then brings you back to the question of why change the name. One of the reasons is that the original name, I think, was tied to an earlier iteration of the project that saw a difficult reception from 
regulators around the world, and we've changed the proposition dramatically, Levy said. The project is ready to launch at a technical level, though developers are continuing to test and iterate on the design, Levy said. And while the project has evolved in scope since its unveiling, it still uses a blockchain, end quote. Over the holiday weekend, we heard rumors that while the Libra currency could launch as soon as January, it would do so in a severely curtailed format of one single coin backed one for one by the U.S. dollar. So not the global financial market disruptor some imagined, but I guess they could launch in other currency flavors at a later date. Interesting also that they're going with the U.S. dollar at first. One would have thought they might have tested in a smaller currency that also might have an easier chance of catching on in, say, a lightly regulated market with maybe a large number of unbanked people in it. Just a quick note that it is official. Airbnb is seeking to raise around $2.5 billion in its IPO at a valuation of $35 billion after pricing its shares at $44 to $50. Again, if you want to play along at home, quoting CNBC, Airbnb's last private valuation was $18 billion after it raised $2 billion in debt earlier this year as the company struggled in the early months of the pandemic. That was nearly half of its peak private valuation of $31 billion from 2017. The company will list on the NASDAQ under the ticker ABNB. It's expected to hold its IPO later this month. Airbnb's roadshow, where it takes its pitch to investors, will start Tuesday, end quote. Reuters is reporting on rumors that Samsung might discontinue its premium Galaxy Note phone lineup next year, reflecting the sharp drop in demand for high-end smartphones in COVID times. Quote, At present, the South Korean tech giant does not have plans to develop a new version of the Galaxy Note for 2021, three sources said, declining to be identified as the plans were not public. Instead, the Galaxy S series' top model, the S21, will have a stylus, and the next version of Samsung's foldable phone will be compatible with a stylus, which will be sold separately, one of the sources said. A second source said company development efforts that normally would have been directed to the Note would now be channeled into its foldable phone range. Samsung declined to comment. Tom Kang, an analyst at research firm CounterPoint, said sales of Samsung's Note series are expected to fall by a fifth to eight million this year, while sales of the S series are likely to drop by five million to less than 30 million. Premium demand has decreased this year, and many people are not looking for new products, he said, end quote. Given the fact that it was arguably the Note lineup that ushered in the giant phone era, but also helped... Samsung become the king of the Android phones, this would be definitely the end of an era if it proves to be true. Every time data like this leaks out, I like to tell you about it because I'm so fascinated by Reddit as a business. In terms of impact, Reddit is one of the biggest platforms out there, and yet, given its user base, given its impact, it is also amazingly under-monetized. Example in point, Reddit has revealed that it averages 52 million daily active users, or at least it did in October, which it says was up 44% year over year. That's the first time Reddit has ever revealed that Dow number. On the money side, Reddit also revealed that ad revenue surpassed $100 million in 2019 for the first time in its history. Reddit expects that number to improve by more than 70% in 2020. Quoting from the Wall Street Journal, 
Reddit's number pales compared to that of Facebook, which said it averaged 1.82 billion daily active users on its namesake social network in September, and is less than a third of that of Twitter, which said it averaged 187 million monetizable daily users in the third quarter. Reddit is in the experimental bucket of budgets for advertising by companies in such categories as gaming, technology, entertainment, finance, and beauty, said Susan Scheikoffer. Chief Digital Investment Officer for ad buying giant Group M, which is owned by ad holding company WPP PLC. If we are comparing them to the big ones, Snap, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, they are not anywhere near that scale, she said. But the upside for them is really big, end quote. Click through to the article for an interesting look at Reddit's business model and strategy going forward. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you ka-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 30 better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash ride. We're being sponsored today by a company on a product that longtime listeners know I have used for years and cannot, literally cannot live or at least work without it. 1Password. 1Password combines industry-leading security with award-winning design to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. Companies lose hours every day just from employees forgetting and resetting passwords. A single data breach costs millions of dollars. 1Password secures every sign-in to save you time and money, any device, any time. 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. I started using 1Password, what, a decade ago? Join me and over 100,000 businesses on board the 1Password bandwagon. Because right now, my listeners get Get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride. That's two free weeks at the number one, the word password, all one word, dot com slash ride. Onepassword.com slash ride. You might have heard that Alphabet's Deep Mind revealed yesterday that it had solved the key protein folding problem that has bedeviled biologists for a long time using its AI, a breakthrough that could help speed up drug discovery, among other things, in the future. And you might have thought, gee, another breakthrough for AI, ho-hum. But really, you need to understand what a big deal this is. The protein folding problem is something that has bedeviled scientists for over 50 years. This clears a huge logjam in theoretical development, quoting the New York Times. 
Proteins are the microscopic mechanisms that drive the behavior of viruses, bacteria, the human body, and all living things. They begin as strings of chemical compounds before twisting and folding into three-dimensional shapes that define what they can do and what they cannot. For biologists, identifying the precise shape of a protein often requires months, years, or even decades of experimentation. It requires skill, intelligence, and more than a little elbow grease. Sometimes they never succeed. Now, an artificial intelligence lab in London has built a computer system that can do the job in a few hours, perhaps even a few minutes. DeepMind, a lab owned by the same parent company as Google, said on Monday that its system called AlphaFold had solved what is known as the protein folding problem. Given the string of amino acids that make up a protein, the system can rapidly and reliably predict its three-dimensional shape. This long-sought breakthrough could accelerate the ability to understand diseases, develop new medicines, and unlock mysteries of the human body. Computer scientists have struggled to build such a system for more than 50 years. For the last 25, they have measured and compared their efforts through a global competition called the Critical Assessment of Structure Prediction, or CASP. Until now, no contestant had ever come close to solving the problem. DeepMind solved the problem with a wide range of proteins reaching an accuracy level that rivaled physical experiments. Many scientists had assumed that moment was still years, if not decades, away. I always hoped I would live to see this day, said John Moult, a professor at the University of Maryland who helped create CASP in 1994 and continues to oversee the biennial contest. But it wasn't always obvious I was going to make it, end quote. I'm also going to include a tweet thread from scientist Adam Rutherford in the show notes, who tweeted this, among other things, quote, Bear in mind that all life is either made of or by proteins. So understanding the process from the gene sequence to the working protein is fundamental to biology, but it's also very important for studying diseases. A genetic disease which is caused by a mutation in a DNA sequence can alter the amino acid sequence and therefore the 3D structure. A single letter change in the DNA of the globin gene will result in a single amino acid change and a misshaped globin protein, and the result is sickle cell anemia. We have been working out how proteins are shaped in three dimensions using techniques such as X-ray crystallography, but we can't predict its shape from the original DNA or amino acid sequence. What DeepMind has done is use AI to make that prediction, an extraordinarily complex process of calculation, trial and error, and guesswork under very specific biological rules, and go from DNA to 3D protein. It's radical because it means we can predict now how mutations in DNA will change the function of a protein. That will be incredibly important for fundamental biology, for studying diseases, and for designing drugs that treat diseases that are fundamentally born of misfolded proteins." End quote. Interesting new gadget alert. The Varjo X3 is a LiDAR-enabled VR headset that is pretty interesting because it points the way to a possible near future where AR and VR might actually blend together into a single bit of kit, but also a single use case. Quoting Scott Stein at CNET. At some point, the line between what we see in a VR headset and what we see in the real world may melt away. Finnish AR VR headset maker Varjo could be approaching that moment with its latest LiDAR-enabled XR3 headset, available to order today. At $5,495 plus a required $1,495 yearly software license, this is hardly cheap. A version without LiDAR, the VR3, costs $3,195, but the headset, while expensive, is nearly half the price of the version Varjo made just a year ago and does a lot more. The Varjo X3 has automatic eye distance adjustment, 
custom lenses that promise to be more glare-free than typical VR headsets, and includes eye tracking designed by Varjo. Hand tracking is also on board, using algorithms from Ultraleap. The headset is compatible with Steam VR and Windows, and works with graphics engines Unity and Unreal. But the LiDAR depth sensing looks like the most promising feature of all. When I demoed the previous XR1 headset a year ago, it could also mix virtual and real, but in a more limited way. I was able to place a car or a cockpit in the same room with me, but the headset didn't recognize objects like chairs or tables or really get a deeper sense of my environment. The XR3 could potentially layer VR objects into things seen in the real world with its pass-through cameras and build an AR-like level of blending that's a lot more intertwined. Much like Apple's LiDAR-enabled phones, the XR3 could also scan real-world objects and bring them into VR too. The market for intriguing higher-end business and pro-level VR headsets looks to be ramping up with companies like Var- Varjo and HP's sensor-heavy Omnicept pushing into new territories. Varjo's headset looks like the most visually impressive headset out there. Hopefully I'll get a chance to test drive one someday soon, end quote. Finally today, there was an interesting tech-related case that was argued before the U.S. Supreme Court yesterday. It involves a 1986 computer crime law that has been used ever since to prosecute hackers and internet activists and the like. People have been arguing strenuously that the law is outdated. And indeed, as Justice Gorsuch said in yesterday's court hearing, the U.S. government's interpretation of the law risks, quote, making a federal criminal of us all, end quote. And yes, if you're wondering, this is indeed the so-called Aaron Swartz Law. Quoting Politico, The Supreme Court on Monday indicated serious reservations about the ambiguity and scope of the nation's only major cybercrime law, hinting it may narrow the law's applicability to avoid criminalizing acts such as checking social media at work. During arguments in a case involving a Georgia police officer convicted of violating the 1986 Computer Fraud and Abuse Act by accessing a license plate database, the justices pushed a Justice Department lawyer to explain how a ruling in the government's favor wouldn't open the door to prosecutions of innocuous behavior. Those could include browsing Instagram on a work computer or performing public-spirited security research to test a system for vulnerabilities. As the first CFAA challenge to reach the high court, the Van Buren case generated amicus briefs from a wide range of technology, privacy, and cybersecurity experts, most of them on Van Buren's side. A group of cybersecurity experts described the CFAA as a sword hanging over the head of researchers who probe computers for weaknesses with the goal of helping their owners fix the flaws. The most controversial ever CFAA case never reached a verdict. In 2011, federal prosecutors indicted the prominent internet freedom activist Aaron Swartz on hacking charges for downloading millions of journal articles using a subscription provided by MIT. Swartz, then 24, faced 35 years in prison. He died by suicide in January 2013 while awaiting trial. The justices sounded alarmed Monday about the broader reading of the CFAA. Justice Neil Gorsuch suggested that the Van Buren case was the latest example of the government trying to broaden the scope of criminal laws in contestable ways. Several justices expressed uncertainty about the definitions of key terms in the law, such as authorization, and they spent a significant amount of time asking both lawyers about the meaning of the word so in one part of the statute. Quote, What is this statute talking about when it speaks of information in the computer, Justice Samuel Alito asked, finding in at one point. All information that somebody obtains on the web is in the computer in a sense. I have a feeling that's not what Congress was thinking about when it adopted this law. 
I don't really understand the potential scope of this statute without having an idea about exactly what all those terms mean, Alito added. The justices also sought more clarity about the consequences that Fisher argued would result from a broad reading of the CFAA. Alito asked Fisher to explain how the CFAA would criminalize one of his example scenarios lying about one's weight on a dating website. Fisher responded that by receiving interested messages from potential romantic partners based on a falsified weight, the user would be obtaining information from a computer in violation of the website's terms of service, and also thus the CFAA. Similarly, Fisher told Justice Elena Kagan, checking Instagram at work constituted obtaining words and pictures from one's Instagram feed. And if a company prohibited social media browsing on work computers, obtaining that information would also violate the CFAA by contravening the employer's policy, end quote. Gaming update report, I guess. Turns out Hyrule Warriors is way more fun than I had anticipated. It's not Breath of the Wild 2 by any means. It's that sort of weird hack-and-slash fighting genre that I've never really enjoyed, but it's got all of our friends from Breath of the Wild in it. You can play as several different characters. It allows two-player play, which was great for Penny and me. And hey, it's just fun to be back in Hyrule, to be back in that world. It's the same way that I felt when I first watched that first Hobbit movie. I remember thinking, I just enjoy being back in Middle-earth. Of course, the rest of the Hobbit movies were an affront to God himself, so there is that. But honestly, Hyrule Warriors is lots of fun for any Zelda fans out there. There endeth the gaming report. Talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.